Welcome to Preaching in Season, a series designed to help ministers in their work of interpreting the Bible and preaching the Word in the many seasons of the church's life. My name is Tim Sensing, Professor of Homiletics, Graduate School of Theology here at ACU. In this episode, I'm introducing a preaching series from the book of Galatians. This episode will provide some brief background material that will be needed throughout the series. Thank you for listening. Twenty twenty two is year C of the Revised Common Lectionary. Easter was late this year, April seventeenth, and the season of Easter then extends until the day of Pentecost on June fifth. The season that follows Easter begins after that on June twelfth and is known either as the season of Pentecost or ordinary time. And this is the longest season of the Christian year, lasting until November twentieth, the reign of Christ Sunday. While not as comprehensive as Lectio Continua, the Revised Common Lectionary does allow the preacher in year C to weave through a series uh, of sermons that are vital in exploring various theological themes of Pauline letters. In year C, it'll be Galatians starting out that, that year. Three Galatian texts most often found in year C are missing in 2022 because of that late date of Easter. So in this series of nine podcasts, I'm going to cover all the Galatian texts found in the lectionary, even though that list is truncated in 2022. I'm also going to blur the lines on the boundaries of some of the pericopes, opting for some of my own exegetical and theological conclusions about when a pericope starts and stops. And like the lectionary, you may find some of my choices odd disagree with my choices or scratch your head about why I skipped something you deem vital. Just as no single sermon can preach all that is possible in a text of Scripture, no sermon series can mine the depths that Galatians has to offer. Another way of saying that is that every text of Scripture has more than one sermon, but a wise preacher will only preach one sermon on any given Sunday. I see the letter of Galatians as a single sermon that seeks to persuade the audience to make a decision about their identity and behavior. So that's the the entire scope of the book. And, And Paul, if he was preaching it, would have preached it in one setting. But we, as preachers at a congregation, are going to need several different sermons to be able to unpack the entire book. When you open up the pages of Galatians, you enter an argument already in progress. Galatians is not a general theological treatise, Richard Hayes says. It's an urgent pastoral letter written to a specific cluster of churches at a moment of crisis. Therefore, let us not read this letter as an academic treatise, but with empathy. Paul's being a pastor here, and these churches are in trouble or reading a passionate plea for conflict resolution, or reading the church's mail. And since the letter is in our New Testament, that that private letter, it's been made public. And these people's pain is now open for all of us to read. Therefore, let's read respectfully of their faith and their faith struggle. Paul says, their very souls are at stake. And so we read this this text with empathy. 
the identification of who the Galatians are and the destination of the letter and the date has more direct importance for Pauline chronology and history than it does for exegesis. While choosing between a north or south Galatian theory does affect dating historical reconstruction, it doesn't really affect theology in some of the more recent commentaries that are primarily thinking about pastoral concerns or homiletical concerns quickly move on past these more critical introduction kinds of materials. And, and I'll just mention Richard Hayes and, and, uh, and Matera and their commentaries who do such uh, do that same thing. Uh, this is a hard conclusion for me as a contextual theologian to admit because context matters and contextual settings and occasions of the letter always matters when seeking to find resonance between then and now. Therefore, I encourage you to make a choice about context to help guide you through your sermon series because it will assist you to be faithful to these people uh, these Galatians and to be empathetic to their situation. And it'll also help prevent you from making some some mistakes, especially some ahistorical kinds of, of mistakes. As I read through the various proposals of North Galatian theory, it, it makes natural common sense and was accepted from the patristic period until around the time of William Ramsey. However, since Ramsey, uh, many commentators opt for the South Galatian theory. There are objections and seemingly insurmountable objections to both theories. So is Galatians 2, 1 through 10 the same incident as recorded in Acts 15? Well, it will depend on which one of those uh, groups of folks that you determine that Galatians is addressing. Paul will use a Roman designation of Galatia in 1.1 and 3.1, while Luke will use a geographical designation in Acts 16.6 and Acts 18.23. Does that make a difference in how you're going to read or discern what's going on? Uh, because South Galatia, Paul's first missionary journey, North Galatia, Paul's later journeys, does affect the audience, does affect the chronology. Was Galatians written before the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, as the South Galatia theory would propose, therefore making Galatians 2, 1 through 10 corresponding more naturally to Paul's famine relief visit in Acts 11 and 27 and 30? It, it, these, are, these are tough questions. And I just encourage you to think it through, make a choice. I believe that will help guide you in, in how you then interpret the rest of the letter. Yet, the complexities and contradictory nature of these arguments make discernment relatively impossible, I think, and the commentary tradition most concerned with pastoral and practical theology will quickly move beyond this discussion. The rhetorical and theological argument necessary for homiletics is not hindered by the complexities and ambiguities surrounding these introductory matters. Additionally, you'll need to decide the nature of the teaching that Paul deems a threat to the gospel. I choose not to use the word legalism at all when preaching Galatians. I believe that's one of the mistakes that you make when you don't think about who the Galatians are or make a decision there. 
Uh, the word legalism encourages a historical slippage by imposing more modern concerns, more Protestant concerns upon the ancient text. I encourage you to look at the writings of Mark Nanos and the edited work entitled The Galatians Debate uh, to see a more current way of trying to think about uh, who the Galatians are and what difference that makes in terms of preaching Galatians. Galatians 4, 12 through 20 speaks of their conversion. The letter to the Galatians is part of an ongoing story of Paul's relationship with these churches. A relationship that began full of joy and goodwill. This was blessed people, people that were blessed uh, by the gospel and the preaching of the gospel. The Galatians received not only Paul, but they received the gospel in a good way. When Paul first visited them, they were willing to care for him, even though he came beaten and worn. And Paul reciprocated by becoming like them. He lived like a Gentile among them, and they were blessed at the teaching and the good news of Jesus Christ that they accepted from Paul in spite of his condition and were willing to, to aid him and to serve him and to love him. They treated him like he was an angel from heaven, even as they would accept Jesus. The Galatians 3, 1 through 5, speaks about how the Galatians, in their reception of the gospel, in their early experience of the gospel, how they experienced the Holy Spirit. And that experience of the Holy Spirit confirmed how wonderful it was to be blessed by the gospel, to be included as part of God's people, to be included in the very community of Jesus. Yet, some unknown Jewish Christian missionaries came preaching something different. And the Galatians changed. They, they seemingly changed quickly. They seemingly adopted what these missionaries were teaching. Who were these Christian missionaries? Paul directly refers to them five times, beginning in Galatians 1, 7, and, and moving to chapter 3, verse 1, chapter 4, and verse 17, chapter 5, and verse 7, chapter 6, and verse 12. Uh, Paul, Paul addresses them. He, he seemingly knows who they are and what they're, what they're teaching. They were outsiders, Paul would see them, as, as folks who endanger the gospel, 1-6. And he even uses language that talks about how the Galatians are, uh, could be defecting from the gospel because they were being disturbed. Uh, there was an agitation that was, was happening uh, because there was something that was being taught differently than what Paul first taught. They were teaching if you live like Jews and you accept the Jewish ways of, of being, then you would then be considered part of the people of God. And Paul was saying, no, it's because of your faith and it's the faith of Jesus. It's the very fact that Jesus died on the cross. And it's, it's faith in that, that fact that Jesus died and was raised that Jesus was faithful to God, that, that you are part of the people of God. Uh, chapter 2 and verse 14 uh, has some, some language there that talks about uh, this, 
this contrast. In the book, Galatians Debate, James Dunn asks a key question. How can Gentiles be brought into a right relationship with God and what implications does that have for their inclusion in the people of God? And so it's that, that behavior and, and response about who their identity is as part of Israel and, and how they will then respond because they're now part of that community and how this community ought to interact with one another. That, that that's the key question that Galatians is answering. In order to understand the conflicts that arose from allowing Gentiles to relate to the God of Israel and God's people without becoming Jews first, it's necessary to understand the social dynamics of the ancient Near East during the time of Paul's ministry. The segregation and deeply rooted ethnic biases Paul faced were major obstacles to Paul's desire to create a multi-ethnic community. Paul's answer to these questions is rooted in the belief that the events of Jesus' death and his resurrection and the arrival of the Holy Spirit were clear indications that the restoration of Israel had been fulfilled and therefore the new age had officially dawned. With the new age, then the time for the inclusion of the Gentiles has also come. Whoever the Jewish missionaries were, their fears and motivations caused them to have a different solution to the dilemma caused by Paul's multi-ethnic communities. Again, the work of Mark Nanos explores the complexities of this issue for both the Jewish and non-Jewish communities. The argument for Gentiles to do what they have always done, which would be to convert to Judaism, was not only a theological answer, but it was also a social and political answer. As these pagans disassociated themselves from the social relationships that gave them standing in society, they were left with no standing politically or socially. Judaism gave them another socially and politically recognized group. Being Christian without associating with Judaism left them without status. And so these Jewish missionaries were, were giving these folks not just theological reasons why they should become Jews uh, and convert to Judaism as they converted to Christianity, but it was also political and social. The complexity of that new status is seen in 6.12, which reads, Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. The statement that they were wanting to avoid being persecuted for the sake of the cross suggests they are insiders of a Jewish community who are trying to avoid persecution from outsider groups. And they're wanting these new converts to be protected, not only from, from the, them being persecuted, but they didn't want the Galatians to be persecuted. And so their motivations, I believe, need to be thought more empathetically than just being dismissive as though they are somehow uh, Pharisees or, or legalists. I think that oversimplifies, and it's definitely bringing a more, uh, uh, you know, the beginning of the Reformation movement kind of thinking in terms of how Galatians was interpreted uh, rather than looking at the first century. 
This first podcast on Galatians is simply an introduction to an invitation to preach Galatians Lectio Continua over the next eight weeks. So we've been looking at the background that will be necessary and will then help interpret passages as we work through uh, these various episodes. Next week begins the series with Galatians 1, 1 through 12. Thank you. Preaching in Season is a production of the Graduate School of Theology at Abilene Christian University in partnership with the Center for the Study of Ancient Religious Texts. If you're interested in learning more about us and what we do, visit us at acu.edu gst or email us at gst at acu.edu. Until next time.